Welcome to the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast, also known as the SAS pod. I am Lalita Duperon, Associate Director in the Center for South Asia. All our podcasts and information about the center are available at southasia.stanford.edu. I am joined today by Snail Nayak, who is the new Senior Director of the Office of Student Engagement at Stanford, and in his new role, uh, Snail will provide strategy, vision, support, and long-range planning for student engagement initiatives and activities at Stanford, and we'll be talking about all of that today. Snail, congrats on the new job, and thank you for making time for us today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. I'm bonkers. I mean, I don't know what else to describe what we're currently going through. And the majority of us are struggling. And I think we're doing our best to stay positive and optimistic in a time of crisis, not only because of the global pandemic, but also the anti-Black racism movement that is much needed to be talked about. I, I think your attitude is the right one. Like, we just need to be bonkers right now. This is no time to be just okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. thank you for giving us space for that. I love that. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where did you grow up? What brought you to Stanford? Yeah, so I am actually sitting here now in my home that I grew up in. I am I born in San Francisco at the Kaiser Geary Street uh, Hospital and have lived in the Bay Area for most of my life. I, my dad was, was a hardware engineer. He is now retired, but he came down uh, from San Francisco to the San Jose area to be closer to the Silicon Valley. And we grew up here in San Jose for uh, most of my early life. Um, from here, I went to UC San Diego undergrad, uh, majored in psychology. I was pre-med uh, and then organic chemistry did me in. <laughs> so I became pre-dean and now I'm, uh, I'm on the dean track, I suppose. Uh, that's what I would joke around with my friends saying. From UC San Diego, after majoring in psychology and being actively involved, I went to NYU grad school mm -hmm. and got my master's in higher education administration and worked at Seton Hall and St. John's a while over there, good basketball D1 schools, <laughs> and um, was going to come back to California because I'm a California boy at heart. But after living in New York, I decided to live in Boston for four years. I worked at Simmons College, which is now Simmons University, mm -hmm. uh, which is an all-women's college. It was fascinating being the... Uh, one of few males uh, or men at uh, all women's experience uh, came back after the Red Sox broke the curse. If you follow baseball and the Patriots were still winning back then the Super Bowl um, and came back to CSU Monterey Bay, where I was actively involved in student affairs there for three years uh, and have been at Stanford ever since I applied to Stanford. I was a part of the rejection rejected class of 1999. I don't hold Stanford against that because I had an incredible experience at East San Diego. Um, but I applied for a job at Stanford and the second time, actually, I applied one time in 2000 and then in 2008 when I applied and got the job to start back then and, and as the associate director in the same office, I'm now the senior director for. Um, so it's been a, it's, it's full circle. I'm excited to be back in this office to lead us in a, in a, in a new and exciting direction. It's a, a, you certainly have come full circle. How, how is work culture different between the coasts? I mean, I'm a kind of, I guess I'm a Midwestern girl having moved here from Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, they say this about California. I think part of it's true. There's always all these generalizations they make, but you know, even New York and Boston are very different. I could not, um, it's a helicopter going above me here now. Um, I, I could not um, 
live in New York City permanently because it's just so chaotic and frenzied. And there are people that feed off the energy and do are very successful there. I'm more of the California need the sun. I, I believe in seasonal affective disorder and all the things around weather. Um, it makes me happier to be in. And this this background you can see, which you probably can't see in the podcast, but it's incredible weather and uh, we pay for it from our taxes. Um, but I also enjoy the people and the calmness and, and all. And Silicon Valley, of course, is very glued to their phones, their smartphones. And, um, you know, it's, it's the culture of, of where we live. Right. So uh, less, hack, less hectic, but nevertheless, 24-7 work culture. Yes. yes. It's kind of I can see that. Summary. <laughs> hmm. Um, I... <laughs> What 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 makes I mean? Let's zoom in a little bit more uh, from California uh, to campus. What what makes Stanford special to you, having experienced so many different places? So many things. I mean, and I miss being on campus to even describe this even better than what I'm about to do. But yeah. um, being virtual, I think, has amplified what we miss most. And yesterday, I was on a call with a number of students and staff, and. We did this um, icebreaker and I said, so, you know, say, tell us your name, your preferred gender pronouns, which by the way, mine are he, him, his, um, and your title, senior director, student engagement. And then we said, what do we miss about Stanford? And by the time we had went through 10 people saying what they missed, I, said, I really wanted to cry because it was just so emotional to talk about what we miss about being on campus. And I think for me, Stanford has always been this place of potential. Um, this idea that great ideas come together from all, all around the world, really, and to listen, learn from, and engage with each other and prepare our students to be ready to leave Stanford and make a difference, make an impact on wherever they go and the jobs and whatever jobs they select and whatever neighborhood they end up in. And that's what makes me excited about Stanford. Uh, you're mentioning uh, potential and um, making a difference. Uh, a quick plug here for the podcast um, I recorded uh, last week now, I guess, um, with Raghav Merotra, who's in um, Ajivika Bureau in Mumbai or in various places uh, in India, but he's based in uh, Mumbai, uh, doing phenomenal work with migrant laborers in, in mm. India. And uh, just just so impressive and I was, it was so amazing to talk to him and, and I was like okay so you went to Stanford and, and now you're kind of doing all this it's uh, that sense of potential is very much there I agree I agree yeah, it's an incredible story love it um, so I, uh, I have not asked you that uh, dreaded of all questions I'm sure you get it frequently where are you from <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and and then the follow-up right but no no where are you really from um, yes. but I'm nevertheless I mean I am in the center for South Asia so I think I'm allowed to ask you this uh, sure. if you feel that your quote-unquote South Asian-ness if, if there is such a thing uh, informs your work yeah I think you know it's it's a great question and if asked appropriately with meaning then really where are you from I think can go a long way. I think we've forgotten to ask more um, politically correct is not the right word, but you know, asking questions because they care and not because they're curious in a sense of trying to offend oneself. Right. Um, but I think for me, South being South Asian has really embodied what are around the values I've been t taught from my parents, um, whether it be the importance of education, the importance of traveling, 
the importance of music, um, the importance of how we treat each other. And I've been raised to believe that you treat each other equally. So I will talk to President Mark Tessie Levine the same exact way I'll talk to a student. I don't code switch to fit into a space. I will be myself authentically. And my parents taught me that. They've also taught me to not worry too much or to be too stressful, even though my dad does stress a lot uh, in his parental ways, Um, (laughs) but that things are written in the stars. There's a path already in front of you and just continue following your path. And if at any point you fall off your path, just get up and keep going forward and you will just continue following your path. And I really do believe that is what I'm trying eventually kind of long-term vision for our office for the Office of Student Engagement is the Office of Student Engagement is to be able to help students find their path because our paths are all different and um, there is no judgment in where your path leads you. It's just that you're following your path. How was, uh, how was the falling off the path and getting back on it? How was that when you uh, went from pre-med to pre-dean? I, I have to ask you this. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh gosh. I remember that call I made to my parents. It, it was a tough one. I know some students have to do this because there are a lot of pre-meds that change your mind. And I was pre-med since fourth grade, which I'm sure many of our students can relate to. Um, but, um, <laughs> I, you know, I remember, I remember going, I went to a pre, I went, when I was in high school, I went to Houston to Rice University for some medical conference. I was like really in it to win it. And, um, I, when I saw organic chemistry, which by the way, all my pre-med or my doctor friends are like, you know, we never see any organic chemistry and I just laugh about it, but it depends on the, which, which um, field you're in. But um, I think I, I remember that call. I called my parents and I said, dad, mom, I'm, I, I can't do this. I, I cannot be, I cannot continue the path of pre-med. And I remember them crying. I remember them crying and saying, what has UC San Diego done to you basically? I'm paraphrasing because I don't exactly remember what I said. I remember how they felt, which is, you know, of course, Dr. Myangelo's talk, which, by the way, I brought to Dr. Myangelo campus when I was at East San Diego um, as part of my role as commissioner of programming. But that's kind of like where I, I, I land now because that's why I'm in student affairs. I want to help students find their paths because I know it's hard. I know it's incredibly challenging to help navigate through a place like Stanford, which has a lot of resources and it can be overwhelming. And our jobs are to help open the doors to all these resources. And before they leave, they have a better sense, not planned out completely, but to find their next job. And I think people get hung up on the job, but it's just the next job until of course you retire. Right. Um, So do you feel that the students that are um, in some way connected to South Asia and maybe live with that parental or societal of their community expectation of doing a particular thing at Stanford or performing in a particular way at Stanford. Do you feel you relate to those students more personally because of, of that experience that you have had yourself? Yeah, I see, I see many of them in, you know, in what I, my experience was when I was an undergrad. And what's fascinating to me is it's so hard. And we know this probably from data to generalize a population of a billion people in just, let's say, India. But then, of course, you expand it to South Asia and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Nepal and all in that region. It is very hard to generalize this is the experience of what South Asians go through or to then add the layer of those that were born in the United States and what that means and what that experience entails. I think for me, it's all about trying to support student engagement 
and understand that they all have stories and they have different lived experiences, oftentimes common. I always love when I hear students describe, you know, the foods they eat, which relate to the Gujarati food that I eat. It's not called exactly the same thing, but very similar. And I love to hear those types of stories about their exchanges with their parents, the challenging conversations they've had, whether it be about their career path, about coming out, or all the other things that um, students go through to navigate their family. Mm. And do you feel that in some way, I mean, do you have a huge um, kind of counseling part? Is that a big part of your role? And can you still do that now that you're running the place? It's a great question. You know, as you grow up in the rank of, of uh, the ladder, it's, it, you get less and less um, student engagement. To, I mean, student, it's literally a student engagement because you've got to do more strategic thinking and allow the staff that report to you to do their jobs to be connected to students. And so I have to be very intentional with my time to not have zero, commu- zero connection will, will not happen. I think that's kind of where I get my energy from and it reminds me if I'm doing the right thing because students will tell you and give you feedback. But I'm able to continue to be in some small regard able to connect with students because it's important to me. Um, will I do less of it? Probably, yeah. And it's also even weird being on virtual, but we make it work. Yeah, I, I, uh, it, it's interesting because I, so much of my work is uh, strate- strategic and ad- administrative, but there's just nothing like an email from a student or, or a Zoom session with a student. You kind of remember, oh yeah, this is what it's about. Exactly. That's exactly the feeling. I mean, I had called the day at 11 o'clock with students and they were smiling and they were liking what I was saying. I'm like, this is exactly why I'm in this role. We forget. Uh, and I imagine anybody at Stanford, whatever role they're in, that they, they, they will feel that way because it's what got us into education to begin with. Exactly. Um, we forget or we get sidetracked. Um, so let me see. When I, when I uh, introduced you, um, I mentioned all these things that you'll be doing. Uh, engagement, et cetera. And uh, that also, your, your role um, also includes Greek life. And uh-huh. I'll ask you about that. I think it's um, possibly the most complicated and uh, also perhaps controversial aspect of student life, um, especially, I imagine, when trying to create uh, equitable experiences for students of color. So tell us more about your engagement with Greek life and what you think uh, are some ways forward. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting. There's this movement um, in the Greek community to not call it Greek life, but to call it fraternity and sorority life. And so I'm trying really hard to change my, the way I describe it, but it is currently fraternity and sorority life. And I think part of what um, is the challenge is they have a number of privileges to be a part or associated with that organization. I was not Greek. Um, I was not part of a fraternity when I was an undergrad. Uh, UC San Diego. I was actually looking at Sigma Nu and Sigma Chi as a potential to join, but I just didn't have enough time. <coughs> I think what, um, <coughs> excuse me, I think what is interesting to think about is, particularly with fraternity and life, is are we looking at them as a asset or a liability? And I think oftentimes the narrative goes down the liability route Mm -hmm. for good reason because there are some things that are challenging and troubling that we need to address systemically. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's great asset in the connections that they build within their organization. Now, it's a little bit different in a a people of color 
fraternity versus a predominantly white fraternity, of course. And there's some that have a mix of both. Um, and it all comes down to how it was founded and how it's being played out at Stanford. Stanford, if, from what I've seen with Greek class, is a little bit different than if you went to even Cal or other universities that are where people wear their letters and, you know, it's all kind of run differently. Stanford's a little bit different in that sense. Um, do we have issues with, with fraternities for life? Sure. And that's, we need to address those things and confront them. And there's a number of um, work groups that Amanda Rodriguez, who's the director of um, fraternities for life, who, who reports to me is working on very hard to address because some of these things need to be addressed, even the hard questions um, around privilege that they get. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do believe um, through this work and through the work of just general student organization support, we will come out stronger if we are committed to making it better. I do, I believe. Well, you are such a, you are, you're such a positive person. Of course you do. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I can see that. Um, so I'm curious about this, uh, this kind of n- renaming, because if Greek life, and I can see the issues with that, but if you then split that up into fraternity and sorority life, uh, now it's become highly gendered and highly binarized. So uh, that's an issue, I imagine. Thoughts on that? You know, there's so much I need to learn about the Greek experience that, and it's a great point. I mean, what I believe in, and, it, and it's true that I work off of feedback. I listen to feedback. I want to hear people's voice. And I will never not listen. Now, will I listen and act upon? That'll be, that's harder to do. But what I do want to hear from students, from staff, from faculty is, what are your lived experiences? What is your feedback so that we create a culture where we're not continuing to bring people down, which is so much easier to do, to just say, this is what's wrong with, and I'm just going to pick on for transfer life right now because we're talking about it, but this is what's wrong. It's so much harder to hear or talk about. This is what's great about for transfer life. We, we err to the side of what's wrong with anything. And this is just the topic we're talking about right now, but anything you talk about, it's much easier to talk about what's wrong than using up energy and making it think through optimistically. These are the things that are right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what the what the real um, strengths are that you could then. I mean, that's really what I'm hearing you say. You want to find yeah. what works, and then how can we um, make, make it better, stronger, and we can um, always make it better. We can always make it stronger. Absolutely, we have to be committed to it, and we will. Um, I have to ask you this as, uh, as being the associate director of the center for South Asia, how, um, what is your connection to the center? I mean, I, <laughs> I read about your, uh, this is a kind of an admission. Uh, I read about, uh, your promotion and, um, saw a picture of you and I thought, Oh, I wonder if he would like to do our podcast. Uh, so I came uh, to you th- through Stanford uh, kind of news, but not through the center as such. So what is your connection, if anything, to the center for South Asian and how do you think we might better serve students with a South Asia connection? It's a great question. Um, and it's interesting because that my previous institutions and I, I think if you include the place I studied, this is my seventh institution and it's the first place where i've seen so many south asians that are um 
more noticeable. And if you'll, <laughs> what's very common in the South Asian culture, which again, I'm overgeneralizing, but when South Asians see other South Asians, they take note. They're like, oh, South Asian. Yes. And I think um, it's great to have that many South Asians at Stanford. And what I noticed in 2008 when I came is how closely knit the Black uh, and African-American community is. Now, not to say that there's issues that they don't have and they're not, and they're not going through together and they're not always all together, but I, I noticed how familial they are, are um, at Stanford. And since then, I've noticed, why can't we do that? And, you know, it's more complicated when you involve Asia as an Asian experience, of course, and then, you know, us being a model minority and all, but then it's a South Asian experience. And what does that mean? And can we all get together? So... I took it upon myself. I forget what year I started this. It's a very informal listserv of staff and I think maybe one or two faculty. And there's a lot of people that are not on this list. I would love to gather who these people and bring us together. The issues I see at Stanford and it's how we've created Stanford. It's not a problem necessarily, but it's a thing where Stanford is made up of small communities. Right. It essentially feeds into the decentralization of our university and what's being tested right now in this COVID response is centralizing a decentralized university. So what I have never felt at, in the 12 years that I've been here at Stanford is this collective I am Stanford, a Stanford pride, which part of our office, I believe, is charged to bring together all these small communities, which can coexist in a small community and as a larger, we are together as one. And I think the Center for South Asia, how I got connected was after seeing my black fa faculty and staff doing this, I'm like, why can't we do this? And, I, and then I learned of Center for South Asia and your predecessor, Sang Sangeetha, mm -hmm. right? And she, 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 I said, what's going on over there? Can we work together? And then she joined the listserv. And it was just, it's, it's a great dynamic of um, learning from each other, supporting each other, you know, when they have events. And we at one point talked about getting the students together in one room with the staff, but we never got to it. Doesn't mean it can't happen in the future. Um, but it's one of those things where I love to build more support for each other and lift each other up, which oftentimes in the South Asian culture, in my experience, and it might be different for others, because again, it's hard to overgeneralize, but it's a very competitive nature um, that South Asians exist in, you know, one-upping each other, comparing each other. And I think if we let the guards down, the walls down and support each other, I think we can continue to elevate each other with the center and with us together. You know, we're here for it. I, I, um, I mean, I've been at Stanford now for I don't know, nine months or 10 months or something. And, and of course it's been a little bit different being off campus, but um, I, I very much see my role as one of connect, connecting um, yeah. people together. And, and there's so many different people on campus who in some capacity or other work with or for South Asia and, and to bring those people together in different spaces and in different ways uh, is, I see is a very important part of my role and I love doing it. That's, it comes very naturally yeah. to me as a kind of a people person. Um, some of the things we've uh, done, and when I say we, the center has facilitated, but the, uh, the, the ideas have always come from students. Um, we uh, started a Hindi Urdu language table, which um, I, I need to uh, reach out to the students who started that and say, you know, can we do this virtually? I think we're now, um, I think it was a little hard in spring because it was all of a sudden we were not on campus and, and we never knew how long we were not going to be on campus for. But it's clear now that we're in this for the long haul. And so I think we can really rethink 
some of the face-to-face uh, uh, -face events we used to have, including social life. So um, I would love to bring that on into the virtual space. And then I started doing a chai chat chat. So that was tea and snacks. And uh, that was great because it meant I could go into my local shops in Sunnyvale, where I live, uh, and, and buy uh, tons, tons of namkeen and biscuits. And it was like being in India. I loved it. And then bringing those to campus. And then we just had people come and, and hang out. It was really uh, we don't have a ton of space. We did it in the lecture room. So again, I don't know whether that can be replicated. And I don't know whether you have ideas about that. Can you replicate that sense of community on Zoom? But I feel we need to start thinking about it now because you know we're not going to be back at campus anytime soon. And then we did this, um, when we first went a virtual, we did this a mushaira. So we had a poetry night every other week. And that was uh, that was very successful and we had people reading poetry and um, it became more informal as time went on and, and that was a nice community builder. But um, undergrads didn't come to that so much, maybe because you always have to be very careful how you word things and how you make people feel included. And, and a chai chat, I think, is um, somehow it, 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 it pushes a different button. So that's something for us to think about. Anyway, all of this to say, uh, anybody out there who has an idea, come to me. I love to hear ideas. And then uh, we in the center love to make them happen and certainly creating virtual communities. So are you, do you have like, or do your staff, do you have virtual kind of sessions with students or, or how do we keep that going? That's a great question. I think, to be honest, what's going to get us through this pandemic is community. And we yep. need to work together to build one Stanford. And that one Stanford is one CSUMB, one Simmons College, one St. John's, one Seton Hall, one NYU, one UC San Diego. These are all the places I've been or worked at and each university is struggling to um, essentially save student engagement yep. um, in the community. And I think for me, what I've learned over time with Stanford students is time is the highest currency they hold and if you make it worth their time they will come if they're involved from the beginning they will come and i think what's um interesting with this zoom thing because i know everyone's zoom fatigue my eyes hurt everyone's eyes hurts is creating spaces to allow to engage in community and if it's done right um if it's you know with the right people um there's a way to connect people. And I think people miss, it's like having this unity concert that I've envisioned once we all get back to campus. How do we bring everyone? Because it's like having this connection party when we all come back and everything's the new normal. It won't be completely back to what we remember it being, but it will be a new normal that will set together. And I hope comes um, kindness and respect and grace. And all these values that I have been taught um, throughout the years from my parents, from my friends and family, um, that I hope will shine because the pointing of fingers, the the rhetoric that we hear from many people around being di divided, that is what's holding us back while other countries are beginning to reopen. It's the finger pointing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I, I love that. And I think... Um... Wow, it's hard to imagine being back on campus. I love that you're already thinking about that and, and, and what that might look like. Um, but until then, we will try and continue to build virtual community because you're absolutely right. Communities will, will get us through this. And um, 
even in these Zoom meetings, there can be a sense of loneliness because it's kind of like so close and, and yet so far away. But uh, no, it is what we right. have, and I think people can connect. And I wonder also if the, if, uh, the generation of, of um, undergraduates now, people that have really grown up around technology in a way that perhaps you and I haven't. It's not that we're of the same generation, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. That it really doesn't matter. It doesn't provide the same barrier. I mean, I think I still feel that real life is better the same way that I prefer to read things on paper than on screen. Uh, but uh, I think uh, people in their late teens and early 20s just don't feel that at all. And so it's... Um, yeah. It's a different experience, and we can really build community even uh, through Zoom and other platforms. Snell, thank you. It is Friday afternoon when we're recording this, uh, <laughs> and you say you have a little Zoom fatigue. Uh, can I recommend that you don't look at Zoom over the weekend? Oh, this is the first weekend. I think I'm going to stop looking at my screen because I'm going to give my, myself permission, and everyone should give themselves this anti- uh, screen time because it's what will save our energy for the following week because we've got some hard weeks ahead of us but if we believe in supporting each other building community even with its faculty which by the way sidetrack I'm happy to hear that there's a South Asia track in global studies yeah my, love that if we can connect all this together and support each other I think it's a great way to be optimistic and see the light at the end of the tunnel that one day we will come together and be one great big community. Well, thank you very much for that. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope you will enjoy that screen-free weekend. Um, Snell, just mentioned for my audience, uh, there is indeed a South Asia track of the Global Studies Minor. You can find all the details on our website. Uh, and the other thing I just wanted to mention, uh, talking of a students kind of mobilizing, I believe, I'm not sure if this is official, but I'm going to put it out here on the podcast anyway, and then you can make further inquiries. Um, I believe that because of student mobilization, Punjabi will be taught at Stanford. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's something that's been in the works. I think it's either... Uh, formalized or in the process of being formalized. So don't hold me to this if it's not true. Exciting. But if anybody out there listening uh, at Stanford is interested in taking Punjabi, I think it may well be on offer. Uh, That's uh, great. I know it's amazing. And that really was just students uh, emailing me saying, how can we make this happen? And I talked to them and they went and made it happen. I was just very impressive. Students sometimes forget and, and know that they also have a voice too. Um, and I hope that people continue to, you know, connect, communicate with us. And they can do that with us, with me, just email studentengagement at stanford.edu. But continue bringing these ideas because that's what will get us through this pandemic. 100%. Thank you everyone for listening. And uh, I will talk to you all again in the next podcast. Thank you. And thank you, Snail. Thank you so much.